Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing from our community about what they experienced whilst trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories. We also share our insights as we're now two years into doing this work. Plus, we're talking to the trailblazing organisations who are making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space. I think it was very obvious to us that a lot of organisations and managers in organisations just, first of all, weren't aware of what a significant issue this is in terms of how many people that it affects and also how the impacts do spill over into the workplace inevitably. Welcome to the latest episode of The F Word at Work and I'm going to just paint a little picture for you as I'm sitting on the stairs in my rental home preparing to move into our first home. So I'm recording this on my phone because I had to pack up all my voiceover recording equipment and realise I hadn't done the intro for this episode. But rest assured, the rest of it will be an extremely worthwhile listen. What you're going to hear is a conversation that I had with Rachel Suff from the CIPD about the guidelines that they issued all about fertility. And before you hear Rachel, you're going to hear my co-founder Claire talk about the guidelines because both Claire and Becky, as they are HR professionals, were involved in the development. They got to review what had been written. So I wanted Claire's thoughts on it. So you'll hear Claire and then you'll hear Rachel. I hope you find this, as always, an informative episode and we would love to hear your feedback. Five years ago in 2018, when I wrote the article for the CIPD advising that IVF should be, I did use those terms then, um, IVF should be higher on the HR agenda. It was kind of the beginning of a conversation that then fast forward four years, five years, and the editor of People Management magazine, a lady called Ellie Whitehouse, I contacted her a couple more times to say, if you want to run this again, let's do something about it. And it was then that the policy advisors, so Rachel, who manages policy advice in the CIPD, got it that this needed to be talked about a little bit more. So they started working on some guidance for HR professionals. So the CIPD is the professional body for all HR professionals in the UK. They ran some surveys with the HR community just to benchmark what people knew and I think they ran the survey before they did the guidance and they came up with the guidance in association with us and Fertility Network UK and what they did is they sent it to Becky and myself for comment. I have said I wanted to highlight separately the absence of surrogacy throughout the narrative and the use of the term intended parents. I personally work with people who use surrogacy to have their babies and it, there is a huge gap in workplace narrative around all of this. So if this could be weaved into more of the core of the guidance this would really support those in this space so uh, there was there was that bit again around the inclusion piece one of the really good points about the guidance that it's just not about fertility challenges it looks at the precursor stuff as well around investigations so if people are having investigations into their fertility as well there's a precursor isn't there there's that bit and then there's the fertility treatment itself so that's good that they've noted that i have asked rachel for some stats on access to the guidance she said it's too early to tell so maybe january time i'm going to 
reach back in and say, have you got any data or statistics around how many people are using it? But it is a resource that's available via the CIPD. The thing is, though, the resource is there. People won't know to access it unless they think, oh, I've got someone who needs this support. Oh, I'm going through it myself, etc. Before we get into this episode, we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series, Apricity, which is next generation fertility. And Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now, to explain that, the technology Apricity use is through their virtual models, so they have virtual consultations, and specifically, their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey, so they never miss an injection. They have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Apricity offers family-building benefits to employers, health plans, and individual patients And this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation, and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology, and unlimited support. Now, the Apricity Fertility Benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company, for either flexi benefit, cash allowance, or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.life. I'm Rachel Surf, and I lead on health and wellbeing in the public policy team at the CIPD. And the CIPD is a professional body for HR and people management. And we're a global organisation, but most members are based in the UK. Thank you, Rachel. It's lovely to have you here. And we're here today to talk about the CIPD's guidelines that were issued this year. We're speaking in September in 2023. Was it, what month did they come out? We published our research in the spring. Yeah. So as a starting point, I'd just like to talk to you about what led you to the research. Yeah, it's a good question. I think a number of things. I think, first of all, we had had conversations with a lot of our members over the last couple of years, really. And it was becoming more and more obvious that, first of all, this is an important workplace wellbeing issue and that there is a real gap as well in terms of the support in many workplaces that you can expect if you're experiencing fertility issues or if you're going through treatment or investigations and so on and I think it was very obvious to us that a lot of organisations and managers in organisations just first of all weren't aware of what a significant issue this is in terms of how many people that it affects and also how the impacts do spill over into the workplace inevitably. And so we were also aware that there wasn't a lot of great guidance and support out there. I mean, organisations like yourself are the exception, of course, and we wanted to amplify what you're doing and, yeah, just really increase awareness. So in terms of feedback that you've had since releasing the guidelines, what's that been like? It's been really positive. It's really already, I think, increased a lot of awareness amongst our HR community. We've had a lot of conversations. Oh, I had follow-up calls today. So it's running and running. We didn't see it ever as a one-off event. We'll publish the research, 
we'll publish the guidance and then it will all be fixed. I mean, far from it. I think it has encouraged quite a lot of organisations to implement an effective framework and we can talk about what that means in terms of support in an organisation. But it's also, I think, opened up other conversations connected with this area as well and the different kinds of experiences that people might have and how we really need to keep on developing and evolving the guidance that we have so it meets everybody's needs. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk to you more about what that evolution looks like. But I'm so pleased that you use the word people because there is a misconception that we talk about a lot that this is a women's issue. And we always talk about it as a people issue. But at the same time, we're very aware that there's a lot on the wellbeing agenda and there can be a feeling of overwhelm from organisations as it's another thing to try and get your head around and understand. What challenges do you feel organisations have to overcome when they are approaching this topic in particular? I mean, you touched on some of them there. Yeah, no, good question. And I think there are challenges and I think it is overcoming perceptions that some might have that actually these are personal issues, the health issues, and those aren't addressed appropriately in the workplace. So it is overcoming those kind of barriers. And I think what can flow from that kind of perception as well is a real, and we see this among many managers, obviously have got really big jobs as well and can be dealing with a lot of complex issues in terms of well-being in their teams I think a fear a lack of understanding about the issue itself and then fear of saying the wrong thing and making the situation worse so it's not always out of a lack of wanting to do the right thing and support people but just a real feeling that they're out of their comfort zone and I think we point out to organisations that actually if you provide a supportive framework, support for people going through fertility challenges and so on, that will help employees who are experiencing other wellbeing issues as well. Because there's an awful lot of issues and health challenges that people can experience through their whole employee life cycle. And if you support in one it's going to make it much easier for people to talk about other issues as well. So, you know, it can have a wider impact. Yeah. It's also not forgetting as well that the managers themselves might be dealing with this personally. So it's understanding how that, and we always talk about the importance of that support being there for those that are supporting others, because if you're going through it and you've got someone coming to you going through it, it can be so triggering and so emotional as well. That's a really important point. And we do draw that out in our guidance because line managers are expected to support people with a lot of health and wellbeing issues, some of them complex. And in terms of having fertility challenges, that could very easily be the line manager themselves, or they could be having another very difficult situation on their hands, which means that they don't feel very equipped to support somebody with their own fertility journey at that time. And so it's important that they know they can go somewhere else in the organisation for support, that another manager or a wellbeing officer or HR, it's really important to have as many sources of support and understanding as possible in the organisation, which is why, yes, it's an important issue for line managers to be capable and confident around because many will feel in a position to support if they supported themselves in the right way. But also what came through our research is that the support of colleagues 
is so appreciated. So it's creating, that, I, I think, that wider ecosystem of support and understanding and compassion. And then there's more than one person that you can talk to yeah. and go to for support. Exactly. And we put a big emphasis on peer support. And it's signposting, isn't it, ultimately? It's knowing, it's you knowing where to go and feeling that, you know, you're okay to go there, ultimately. Absolutely. And signposting externally as well. I mean, hopefully the organisation will have support and adjustments and policies, an employee assistance programme, perhaps. You know, they'll have some specialist helpful advice for people. But also... There's some great resources, really credible, really trusted, like your organisation, where there's very factual and credible and practical advice, but also it can give you access to a wider community of support. Peer support that we just mentioned is so important. So there is some very good resources to signpost to now. Yeah. And this is what we have in our knowledge hub is that external signposting piece, as well as suggesting on how that internal support can look like. What do you hope the guidelines will achieve, Rachel? We really hope that it starts to close the gap because we found when we carried out the research that I think only around a quarter had any kind of policy or guidance in organisations to support people going through fertility issues or treatment. So we hope that we can start to close the gap. And we hope that at the very least, and actually, very importantly, organisations can at least do that signposting. Because even if you haven't got a HR department, you don't have formal policies, really. Even if you're a small organisation, you can still create an environment where people feel that if they talk about what they're going through they will receive compassion and understanding so if we can build those cultures in organizations that I think will go a long way to people feeling that perhaps they can manage what they're going through at a personal level and their job as well it'll help them to cope with what they're going through on a personal level so We really hope we start to shift the dial. Yeah. And in terms of the fertility conversation, when we set up Fertility Matters at Work, we kind of were looking at what had been done with the menopause conversation in the workplace. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we know that there's a lot on the wellbeing agenda. I'm interested as to whether you think that there might be wellbeing fatigue within organisations in terms of awareness raising activities and developing policy. Like when we talk to people and we talk about the awareness calendar and what's coming up in terms of significant dates, you know, this is a a year round conversation, but it's helpful for organisations to have campaigns on certain topics. But there's so much. I mean, someone said to me the other day, I think October's everything month, you know, can be a real challenge can't it you're right it's a really interesting question actually that gave me pause for thought Natalie because you're right I mean there's so many different well-being issues that can affect people as they go through life as they go through work and we are expecting a lot of organizations and managers in terms of recognizing those and supporting people through whatever issue that they're experiencing but I think First of all, we're not picking up on any fatigue. In terms of our research with HR, they're doing more than ever to support people's health and well-being. And I think what they're finding is that, as I said earlier, if they're supporting 
people with one wellbeing issue, in this case, fertility issues and treatment and so on, then it becomes easier to support people in other areas. Because often the kind of fundamental support you need to put in place, I mean, obviously, we need specific signposting and resources and policies around whatever wellbeing issue it is. But the fundamentals in terms of creating that open and supportive, compassionate culture, training line managers, giving them guidance to make sure that they understand that they have a role to play here and that these are legitimate wellbeing issues. They're not just for outside the organisation in people's lives. Of course, people can keep them private if they want to. But I think the more these are not standalone issues in terms of providing the right kind of supportive framework. If you do it for one issue, it's going to be much, much easier to do it for another. It will spill over. And so it's having that holistic approach to people's well-being and not seeing it then as another well-being issue that organisations have got to, you know, craft a new policy on. If you've got an overarching health and well-being framework and policy, it then becomes quite straightforward to incorporate specific guidance because you do have to be explicit yeah around the issue and we're seeing that with organizations that might have that in place and then we talk to them about having like you say maybe a manager's guidance policy instead that can refer back to that overriding policy so it's just thinking like you say a bit differently and I'm so pleased to hear you say that you're not hearing any signs of fatigue I'm keen just before we finish to ask you just what we touched on earlier about the evolution of the guidelines. We do a lot of work with the surrogacy community, which is massively overlooked in terms of being written about in policies and wondered whether there was thoughts from your side about venturing into that route to family building as well. Yes, I mean, we do mention the importance of recognising infertility or fertility issues as a issue affecting surrogacy as well. And I think it's a really good example of where a lot of people and organisations will have just not factored that in or thought about it. And of course, it's a very real issue that if you are trying to start or grow a family through surrogacy, of course, there could be fertility challenges in that situation. And so we are bringing it into the fore, hopefully, in terms of organisations thinking in the guidance But I think without doubt, this is a really important area that we can explore more. And you can do that in a variety of ways through podcasts and and your messaging. And, you know, we will seek to do that. And another issue is, you know, involuntary childlessness and where, you know, I think we could develop that more and where some people might decide they have come to the end of that journey. And, you know, they are now coming to terms with, a state of childlessness. I want to develop that area more. So it's just finding the extra depth and those extra nuances as we go along. Because once you publish one piece of guidance, we're always continually reviewing, we're always getting feedback. And we really want to evolve that guidance. And I think as well, it's just enhancing the whole inclusivity of the issue. And it is something that we emphasised in the guidance. But I think we can explore that even more. And I think that would then help organisations to really think in a little bit more depth about how they position their support in organisations. Because, of course, there's also a situation of 
where there's same-sex couples. And again, that could be related to using surrogacy, actually, where you've got same-sex couples and also people pursuing parenthood alone. There's all sorts of different scenarios, isn't there? And that's the complexity of the lives that people live nowadays. And of course, that affects fertility as well. And what we've seen in terms of the surrogacy route, for example, is the language. So, for example, in policies, there's no mention of intended parents. People are being referred to the adoption section of a policy. And we're keen to educate organisations that somebody who's becoming an intended parent through surrogacy isn't adopting their child. They are, you know, the legal guardian of the child. They're not the actual birth parents but they are the language needs to be very different intended parents rather than adopted parents and it's that education piece ultimately isn't it definitely and I think it is the education it's the advice that HR and organizations give to the people yeah and especially their managers around the topic that is ultimately going to create that really inclusive environment around it and give confidence to people so the education piece is really really important yeah that's what will give the confidence exactly there's no point having a policy if people don't understand why the policy is there just finally Rachel it's been a real pleasure hearing more of how you feel this conversation is evolving because we've obviously been in this space a couple of years and have been delighted with how it's been received it's a constant you know challenge to keep spreading the word but we are seeing movement and traction and hearing the benefits from those that are better supported but what advice would you give to smaller organizations that may feel overwhelmed at the prospect of trying to implement these changes that we've been talking about yeah really good question and we do come up against this question a lot in different well-being areas of course you know most people in the private sector do work in really small organizations under 50 employees and I think the important message from us is that it isn't all necessarily about formal policies buying in expensive support necessarily you can still make a change by opening up the culture I think it is important if you've got line managers in the organization to educate train if you can but at least provide access to information and trusted guidance like from yourselves um, definitely because that can make a really big difference when we did our research what we asked employees who are experiencing fertility challenges what kind of support matters the most and top was paid time off to attend medical appointments obviously that must be so important but a very close second was just understanding from my manager and employer and my colleagues that it can be a difficult and challenging time and any organization can deal with that can't they any organization can provide that warm, compassionate, understanding environment where you can feel you can talk about what you're going through. And any organisation can make some helpful small changes as well, even if they might not be able to afford some types of support, they can still signpost. Exactly. And ultimately, it's validating that person's experience because there's a misconception that this is a lifestyle choice. And what we always try to educate that this is a medical treatment, the World Health Organization classify infertility as a disease, which again is something that if you don't know, you don't know. And, you know, there's no blame being cast. It's just recognize that this person is going through a life event. And if like you've been saying, if they're looked after and supported, then they're going to have loyalty to the organization, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, it's not a lifestyle choice, is it? And, you know, when you hear those first hand stories 
anybody who hears those, you soon realise the wellbeing impact, how difficult it can be for people to cope with what they're going through. And I've got several friends who've been on journeys like that. And it's so important to have that empathy and listen and try and put yourself in their shoes. And, you know, the workplace exists in society and there's still a lot of silence and stigma in society generally. And that does spill over into the workplace. But actually the workplace can be a really great opportunity for actually people to get that support that they yeah. might find that they can't get outside of work yeah you know that it's got such an important role to play and exactly. it can make such a difference and I think that's the inspiring part yeah. of the work that you're doing and that we're trying to do as well yeah well Rachel it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for taking <laughs> the time to just explain and it's so encouraging you know to see that the guidelines are here and to see the response from the HR community and ultimately you know we're stronger together on this mission aren't we absolutely we're all trying to achieve the same thing here and improve the support that people can get at work and I think things will change and really pleased to be on the podcast thank you and have the conversation thank you for your time thank you Rachel oh you're so welcome so do let us know if this has been useful you can get in touch with us via our website our socials all the info will be on the way. Also, I will include a link to the guidelines with the CIPD in the show notes. And we love hearing your feedback on the work that we're doing because we're on a mission to make the workplace fertility friendly and hearing where you're at, whether you're an individual going through this or whether you're wanting to get in touch on behalf of your organisation. We really welcome your thoughts and insights. Um, so keep listening to find out how you can get in touch. And do make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And if you are happy to share it with a colleague and also rate and review it, that makes a massive difference because other people know it's worth them listening to. So thanks a lot. Do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on LinkedIn and Instagram and on X with Fert Matters Work. You can access our free resources, including our white paper and policy pointers via our website, fertilitymattersatwork.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter to stay up to date on our free webinars. 